Infinity Games Podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Infinity Games Podcast. This is episode seven. 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 <laughs> Yay. My name is Kelrick King. Seven. seven, my favorite number, man. Like, actually? Yeah. Like, no, no oh. joke. I fucking love the number seven. I don't know why. Because it's lucky, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay, well, that's Kelrick's King, because I Yay. just cut him off saying how lucky seven is, and I am Jukebox Hero. Yay. Yeah, so, that, in this episode... <laughs> yeah, that guy. That guy. God, I tried to do that back in the day. Just try and make an internet personality just, I'm that guy. Oh, God. The douchiest kind of guy. No. Perfect. But on this episode, we're going to tell you the games that we've been playing. We're going to give you a hidden gem. And then we're going to analyze Studio Ghibli covers, DVD covers. And we're going to... We're just going to kind of tell you what we think the movie could have been about based solely on what the cover is. Whether we've seen it or not, because Jukebox has seen almost every Ghibli movie under the sun. I have yep, seen... There's about, <laughs> there's about four I haven't seen. Yeah, whereas there are about four that I have seen. <laughs> no, few, few more than that, but... The only reason I haven't seen those other four, too, is because I have a rule... Mm-hmm. Uh, and so does my girlfriend that we have to watch them like either in a theater or an actual physical release. That's fair. No torrents or downloads or bootlegs or anything like that. That's good. That way you get the best, best possible experience. There's no fuckery or anything. Yeah. Though I do have a bootleg of Howl's Moving Castle. I love that thing. Yeah, I found that for like two dollars at a secondhand store and it took me a while to kind of realize it was a it was a bootleg because they did a really good job on it what really gave it away is the cover image on the dvd had nothing that said disney or buena vista home video or anything like that yeah that's kind of and i know disney always puts that stuff on the disc yeah for sure It's time for games we've been playing. The segment where we give insight on what we've been playing. New or old, good or bad, here is what we've been playing. Alright, well, we'll kick it off. What have you been playing, Jukebox? Well, I played a little bit of the pinball arcade again. Nifty just maybe three games or so and i'm kind of proud because i got the highest score on pinbot which is one of my favorite tables that's awesome yeah so the original high score was kind of like the one that's set automatically when you turn on the machine or whatever yeah and i beat it by about two million points so i had four million and something jesus christ yeah it, it was kind of weird, though, because I was playing on the Wii U gamepad at the time mm-hmm. while uh, while Kari was playing Persona 5. And it's it's kind of hard to see an entire pinball machine on that tiny screen. Yeah, no kidding. But I did a lot better than I usually do. So I kind of wonder if maybe there's a latency issue between the gamepad and the TV when I normally play on the TV. 
There very well could be, or it could be something similar to just um, a smaller screen. Because, like, for example, when I'm playing Destiny, I play on a 27-inch computer monitor. And if I go from that, if, like, if uh, Hylexa Queen, my girlfriend, if she goes to bed and I go out in the living room and I go to play again, like, I suck shit immediately because everything just feels ten times slower to me. So it could also be just a difference in screen size, but... Going from a TV to a Wii U gamepad might be a little bit extreme in that sense. Um, when you go from a smaller monitor to a TV, usually in the first place, monitors don't have many special settings beyond, you know, contrast, brightness, RGB type stuff. Mm-hmm. With with a TV, a lot of them will have anti-aliasing and black levels and about a million different modes and settings that could slow down the uh the video output yeah because when it receives the signal it'll have to go through all these other little things that adjust this the uh the video before it gets on the screen so that introduces a lot of latency okay well i mean that's all german to me but makes sense uh, yeah so if anyone has a similar issue um usually modern tvs will have a game mode and I highly suggest you just go to game mode because it turns off the majority of those extra settings. Yeah. I might yeah. have to start trying that. But yeah, so I did Pinball Arcade. Yep. And then I was playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night. For real? Yeah, for real, because we were talking about it last podcast and I got super hyped about it. Lovely. And? I kind of had... I, well... First off, I kind of had to like smack myself because I was so busy and like when I'm not doing stuff, I have this constant feeling of dread like I should be doing something or I should like make something for me to do. Universe there's always shit you can do. You. <laughs> but like, I was just kind of like, fuck yourself, sit down and play a video game for once. Because for like <laughs> several months on like the other podcast, I'm on podcast TVD, yeah. we'll do a similar thing games we've been playing and I'll just be like, yeah, Pokemon Go and Duel Links. Every yeah. goddamn time. Yep. But my god, Symphony of the Night. So I am playing it on the Xbox. It's uh, Konami Classics Volume 1. It's on there? Yeah, it's a Son small a collection. It has Frogger, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and Super Contra, the arcade version. Ooh. Yeah. So the way I'm playing it is they actually have an enhanced version. And it's kind of just a form of anti-aliasing. So you know how PS1 graphics are crazy blocky and whatnot? Yeah. It just kind of smooths everything out. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, so I've been playing it like that, mostly because playing old games on an HDTV, like 240p, does not go well. No, typically they look even worse. Yeah, because especially since most modern TVs... uh, they don't go that low. They'll have scaling for 480p, yeah, but not 240. That's so why. I'm, and correct, ahead. correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why if you, if you have like a brand new like HD LED TV or whatever, and you try to plug your NES into it, and you try to play like Duck Hunt or something, it doesn't work. Like it, it, it works but the gun doesn't register properly because the TV isn't designed to handle that kind of shit. It's way too advanced because I remember when I got an NES, like my second NES, like 
back when I first started getting into collecting more, and that was the first thing that me and Jukebox tried to do. We wanted to play Duck Hunt, and it did not work worth a damn on my TV. Yeah, which made me sad. Yeah, but, but oh well. The reasoning is a little different. It doesn't have to do with a 240p. Mm-hmm. It's the way modern TVs refresh. So way back in the day when you had a CRT, um, they ran at 60 hertz. Modern TVs still are at 60 hertz, but that's how many times it refreshes a second. When an old TV would refresh, it would do it line by line. Gotcha. So as it refreshed, your target was a white box, and the light gun just had a little sensor in it. And if it was in line with the only part of the TV that was actually emitting white light, it would uh, it would detect it and it would count as a hit. So yeah. because it refreshes line by line, you kind of have a bit more time to register that hit. With a modern TV, it refreshes the entire screen at once. So it's like a flash and it's gone. That's That's the biggest reason why light guns don't work on modern TVs. Gotcha. At least retro light guns. I don't know if there's even modern light guns anymore. No, I don't know. We'd have to look into that, I think, because I couldn't yeah. tell you. The closest thing you have is, like, Lynx crossbow training, but that's still just the Wii mote and, like, the Wii sensor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, so Symphony of the Night, uh, I checked right before we started recording. I'm 35% done. And I don't know if you I don't know if you have to be like a hundred hundred percent done to beat the game. Or if it's kinda of like Super Metroid where like I I beat the game and I only had seventy five percent completion. Well there there are a couple of there are a couple of ways to go about it. The percentage in Symphony of the Night is based on how much of the castle you've explored. Okay. So based on that, I believe you're about you're a little under you're a little over halfway through the first castle and then you'll get the to first. the first <laughs> yeah you'll get to the quote unquote final boss and it'll go one of two ways either you're gonna have specific spoilers 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 I'm, I'll keep it as spoiler free as possible I'll <laughs> leave it up to you to do what you want but pretty much yeah. the way it works is if you have certain items equipped when you fight the final boss the castle will flip itself upside down and then you get to go through it again in reverse yeah which is I, I kind fun. of figured because there's actually Xbox achievements in this version, and one of them's like the reverse castle get two hundred and eighty percent and shit, and I was like, oh okay, yeah, because, uh, I mean, I reached the guy where you can buy stuff from, and I bought Dracula's castle map, mm-hmm. and it looks very small. It does. It and went. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say once you get like. Once you have all of the movement abilities and everything, like the double jump and all that shit, then it's like pathetically small. Like you can blast, you can get from point A to point B in no time. Yeah, because, I mean, I saw that and I was thinking like, you know, this game seems really small, but at the same time, I know there's going to be some reverse shit and I know there's secret rooms and stuff, so I don't know how it compares to Super Metroid, but just from what I can see right now, it seems tiny in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, if it, it actually is, it's kind of beyond me. 
it's not actually that tiny because like you'd think that the castle going upside down or whatever wouldn't change very much but it actually makes the entire it, like it's a completely new experience like it no, really imagine. it's it's actually honestly i was very surprised the first time i played through symphony of the night because i was like oh everything's upside down whoop de fucking do but suddenly like things that you didn't notice on your first playthrough are suddenly like there's suddenly like pitfalls and shit that weren't there before, that were you know just standard holes in the roof that didn't matter and like all this other shit it's actually super yeah. cool i know i i kind of can't wait but at the same time this game it like grabs me and then it loses me so like at the very beginning there even getting through that first boss where it's like the demon carrying the bird thing with the spear mm-hmm I mean, I had to redo that, like, 12 times. Yeah, like, I had to tough. go back, grind, level up once, find a short sword, and... I mean, it was a huge bitch, is about as much as I can say. But it, it almost lost me at that point, because I was getting frustrated, and it was like, if this is what happens first thing in the game, is the rest of the game going to be a grind fest? Is it going to be this ridiculously hard? It really isn't. Yeah, like, the answer I could come up with even just playing, you know, an hour and a half past that is it's it's not as difficult as that first battle, but I still think that's a real kick in the teeth for the first big boss to hit. It, like, it kicks is. your ass over and over. It's kind of unfair, because it's like, you play the game, and it's like, the game does... That's like the second time the game does your... Or no, that's the third time the game does your real dirty. It's like, you start the game, and you're one-shotting everything. And then right. death, and then death is like, "Lol, fuck you! I'm gonna take all your shit." And then, uh, and then you're super, yeah, you're super weak. You got a little dagger, and you're like, "No, fuck me!" And then you kill something; it drops a new weapon. You're like, "Holy shit, that's awesome!" You get the red rust or whatever. You put it on, and it's fucking worse than your little starting knife. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. ooh, it has longer range, but it's like fucking three times slower. So the first weapon drop you get that you get excited about is fucking garbage and then you get to that first boss and he kicks your ass like the game definitely fucking puts you through the ringer but no fucking kidding once you get past that like honestly it's probably one of my favorite games of all time it's so fucking good so i never used the red rust i didn't really care that it had a bit of a longer reach i just kind of stuck to the short sword but what i'm finding in this game like especially comparing it to super metroid is there's not a lot to do in it like, mm-hmm. I go through masses of rooms where there is nothing, and, you know, getting all these candlesticks and everything, I'm addicted to, like, hitting them and getting the hearts, but, like, my hearts are always full. There is yeah. no challenge to retaining enough hearts for your special weapon. I mean, the save points are easy enough to get to, so you can redo your health if you don't have a potion or you can't find a wall chicken. I mean, mm, wall chicken. in... In fucking Super Metroid, there's always at least enemies to fight or better platforming. Yeah. Like the entirety of this Castlevania Symphony of, Symphony of the Night, it feels really loose to me. Like, the jumping and even the moving and getting fucking knocked back when you get hit, all that stuff just feels like a relic of the past or something. I agree. Um, Symphony of the Night definitely had, in my opinion, it definitely had a harder focus on exploration whereas super metroid i feel focused a lot more on combat with see i i really disagree because with super metroid i mean every single area like main area like castlevania symphony of the night has main areas but like 
Every single area had several secrets, and you had to use your weapons to find them. So, like, first you had to explore to find your weapon, and then you had to explore to use it. Whereas Symphony of the Night, most of the time, the things that you're finding are just, like, max hearts, max health up, or whatever. Sometimes a weapon, but, I mean, you don't get extra movement stuff as often. And it's not as essential, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I know you were talking about points where there's, like, rooms with spikes and you need the spike armor type thing. Mm-hmm. I loved that. But, like, even beyond all of this, like, the the atmosphere in Symphony of the Night, I don't feel any sort of urgency or fear or anything like I would in Super Metroid. Yeah. So, in I, conclu- sorry, go ahead. No, I actually had one last thought, and that's, when did Symphony of the Night come out and when did Super Metroid come out? Uh, I mean, Symphony of the Night was a PlayStation 1 game, so it definitely came out after uh, Super Metroid, but just give me a sec and I'll look it uh, up here. I'm getting phoned one moment. Okay, I'm back. Okay. So, did you find the years? Yes. Um, Super Metroid came out 11 days before I was born. It came out on April 18th, 1994. Jesus. And Symphony of the Night came out almost exactly three years later. It came out March 20th, 1997. Okay, so the way games were developed back then, we can almost assume that Symphony of the Night was kind of a ripoff or copy or whatever. Because every Castlevania game beforehand was very strictly like a 2D platformer. Yeah. So I wonder when the term Metroidvania became a thing. Because uh, it almost bugs Google me that. after playing Symphony of the Night. Because, I mean, I guess these two, you know, series are kind of the two biggest examples of that kind of gameplay. But at the same time, I mean, I feel like Metroid did it better and it did it before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. The term just feels a little weird now. It does. When you when you really think about it. Yeah. Um, it's like in- first Metroid back in like 86 or 87 or whatever still had the same gameplay, but that's back when Castlevania was still level-based platforming. Yeah. I, me personally, I think like in conclusion, if you have to choose between either playing Symphony of the Night or Super Metroid, I'd definitely play Super Metroid first. Also, simply because it came out first. So I feel like if you play that one, it... Because I stand by Symphony of the Night. I think it's probably one of the best games ever made. Like, it might fall short in a couple of areas, but, like, I've never played Super Metroid, for example, so, like... I'm biased towards Symphony of the Night, whereas Jukebox has beaten Super Metroid, so he's more biased towards Super Metroid, right? But as he's the only one who's played both, you know, it it gives it a hard... uh, It's hard to find the common ground on it, you know? How about this? Play both. Yeah, do that. Because they're both fucking amazing. Yes. And we're going to move on to what Kelrix has been playing. Oh, God. So... I've been playing Dual Links um, a lot more than normal. Same. Uh, Yugi, Yugi Moto came back as uh, a random appearance duelist, so I was trying to farm him as much as possible, and I got pretty lucky. I got three Beta the Magnet Warriors, I got three Alpha the Magnet Warriors, 
And the second last time I dueled him, I got a prismatic Valkyrion. Yum. So I, I shit my pants pretty hard when that happened. I was like, oh my god, thank you. <laughs> but unfortunately, I didn't get Gamma, which sucks. But hopefully next time he comes around, I'll farm him out for a Gamma and maybe get lucky. But, Hell yeah. Um, so I was stoked because I actually made a really good like Magnet Warriors deck. It's it's pretty dang consistent which is nice i there are a couple of cards i wish i had in there like i wish i had one more delta the magnet warrior but i gotta wait for the card trader so i can buy one i also wish i had a gamma just in case i lost my deltas and then that way i still have a way to get valkyrion onto the field but so i did that and i've actually been having a lot of fun with it lately surprisingly even though my card draw luck is still hot fucking trash and uh so right now in that I'm I'm trying to get an enemy controller from Kaiba but it's not going well so hopefully he smartens up and drops it for me soon. I didn't know that's how you got the enemy controller cuz I still don't have one of those. Yeah, he he can drop it at either level 30 or level 40 and to my knowledge that's the only way to get one is to just get lucky and have him drop okay, them cuz I have never Oh, I guess I shouldn't say never because I've had to, but I've only played against Kaiba like four times. Yeah, he's he's tricky because he's got like enemy controllers and shit, and he's got Vorse Raider, which is a problem because it's a 1900 attack monster. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. You you really got to have like a deck ready for him. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> it kind of sucks. But I think Vorse Raider is a level 40 Kaiba thing times i've dueled him on level 30 he doesn't pull it out so if he does have one then i i never see it but he definitely has them when he's at level 40 which is a problem and then the other game that i picked up lately and i i'm gonna rant because i'm salty about this it it made me mad it's it's a really minor thing when you look at it in like the grand spectrum of things but it pissed me off so I recently picked up Dragon Quest Eight Fuck. on the 3DS again. Nice. Oh yeah, you know where this you know where this oh, is yeah. going. So I bought that back when it first came out because I'd played Dragon Quest Eight on the PS2. I'd loved the ever living shit out of it. It is honestly probably one of the best RPGs ever made. Like turn based. Like, I just grindathon best. Like. I don't grind in RPGs. I hate grinding in RPGs. Like, I'm playing Pokemon. That's the main reason that I am that I can't beat a Nuzlocke to save my life. Because I hate grinding. I love grinding in Dragon Quest VIII. That shit's satisfying as hell. So anyways. And like, I love this game so much. I said to my girlfriend the other day, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to start a new game. And she was like, why? You haven't even beaten it. And I'm like, well, after I beat it. And she's like okay, well, what's going to be different? I'm like, I'm going to play through barehanded. I'm going to only level up fisticuffs. I'm going to see what happens. So anyways, here's where my rant starts. And it's, it has to do with experience because I just noticed this and it, I don't know why it lit a fire inside me. I got really fucking angry about it. So right now I'm grinding on slime hill and like, so the thing is you find metal slimes throughout the game right and they drop stupid amounts of experience but their defense is so high that you either need specific skills to damage them or you have to get lucky and hit a critical so the most experience you can get from a single enemy in Dragon Quest 8 is 30,100 experience which comes from metal king slimes 
So I'm just like farming away on Slime Hill, which is the easiest place to get them to spawn. I'm just farming away, farming away. And then I noticed something. I'm like, my character's levels are all over the place. Like my hero is at 83, Yangus is at 88, like Mori and Red are both at like 81. And then Angelo's at, I think he just hit 80, and Jessica's at 79. Like, Jessica's just way down there. So I'm like, what the fuck? Has she been, like, dead forever? Like, has she been dead during, like, a lot of major boss fights or something? So I go into my status screen, and I took pictures of this. So I'll show you the next time I see you, Jukebox, just to kind of, like, show you how fucking ridiculous okay. it is. But, so... In most RPGs, you can see your character's experience totals, like all of the experience they've garnered throughout the entirety of the game. Because, like, I know you can do it in Pokemon, I know you can do it in Dragon Quest, I know you can do it in most Final Fantasy games. So, I go into that, and I look at Yangus, who's my highest level character, he's level 88 right now, and he has a grand total of 53 million experience earned. And I'm like, shit! That's a lot. So I'm like, okay, well then Jessica must be in like the 40s or something. She must be at like 48 or something. This makes no sense why she's nine levels lower. So I go and look at hers and just take a wild fucking guess what her experience is at. 53 million. Fucking right it yeah. is. <sighs> it, I don't, <sighs> I don't fucking understand. Like why? Why is the fucking, why is one character nine levels fucking higher it makes no sense especially when he's like the single strongest character in the game he hits the hardest he's got the most health and his special moves are complete bullshit and yet what does jessica have going for her she's the weak wimpy mage like that's it that's all she's got her whip moves are fucking aren't really that special her uh sex appeal moves aren't really that special and her fucking stave moves are it's, it's like whoop de doo a little more magic like she's 100% a pure mage you'd think if anything she'd be the highest leveled character because she needs the extra HP and shit they took like, one it, of the worst fucking things and made it like a mandatory part of the game like fucking Pokemon yeah. even fucking anytime in Pokemon mm -hmm. All six of my fucking Pokemon, I want them to be, like, the exact same level. It's like an OCD fucking thing. Like, this game. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> They're just making it, like, like, impossible not to have characters at different levels. Exactly. And here's the part that... Because for a second, I was like, oh, well, no, this kind of thing happens in other games. But it makes sense in other games. For example, if I'm trying to level up a fucking Caterpie... And it like, because Pokemon does this too. Different Pokemon have different experience caps. The ones that stick in my head the most are like any legendary versus Azumarill. Now, like Azumarill, if you want to get her from level one to level twenty to level a hundred, she requires eight hundred thousand experience. Eight hundred thousand. If I want to level up, like. If I want to get, like, a Charizard or something to level 100, he, I believe, takes, like, 970,000. If I want to level up an Entei to level 100, he requires 1.2 million experience. But there's a big fucking difference. There's a big difference between a fucking legendary Pokemon and a fucking Azumarill. Yeah. Right? There's a huge difference. And anybody who knows anything about 
competitive Pokemon battling, I know. Azumarill's a fucking god with its fairy typing, huge power, and play rough. I know that. I'm not stupid. But there's still a big difference between a fucking Entei and a goddamn Azumarill. Whereas in Dragon Quest VIII, there's no fucking need for it. Why are all the characters' experiences their levels out the fucking window? Why is everybody different when there's no difference? If I'm using Mori or Angelo, there's no fucking difference, except, ooh, Angelo has a little bit more magic. And if I use Red over Angus, it's like I'm trading power for speed. If I'm using Jessica over somebody else, whoopee, a little more magic. It makes no goddamn sense. I don't understand it, and it made me fucking salty. Because I'm going to be grinding this game, and I'm going to have Yangus at 99, I'm going to have the hero at 94, and Jessica's going to be, like, just getting into the mid-80s. I'm just sitting back here eating popcorn and listening. <laughs> I know, it's entertaining, isn't it? But, like... Calrix. I don't... Calrix, take, take some deep breaths with me. Blow directly into the microphone so people get the point. <laughs> It's like, such fucking horseshit, dude. I mean, I, I, like, I have to assume there's some sort of balancing. No. Like, maybe, maybe during development, they're like, okay, if they're all at the same level, this is just a little too OP. This is just a little too much magic or some shit. But at the same time, fucking five levels can't make that much of a goddamn difference. No. Yeah. But it's it's also, and the the part that made me mad about it is it's only noticeable at later levels throughout the entirety of the game it's like i start out you start out dragon quest 8 with the hero and yangus right and they're both level one so you get them up to you know like you you'll probably have them at level probably around if you grind you could maybe have them as high as nine or ten by the time you get jessica if you go through a little more casually and you don't go out of your way to level up then you're probably going to be at about level eight like i was i believe jessica joins you at level seven unless you're like ridiculously over leveled and then i'm pretty sure the game will compensate you a little bit right but so if you're playing through normally like i was she'll join you one level under and for the majority of the game that's where she'll be assuming she doesn't die during a fight or something which never happened for me if anybody was dead it was yangus because he was out of fucking mp and he was useless at that point so that just hits it home even more. Like, why is the one who is most likely dead more often a higher fucking level? So it's like, all throughout, like, the fucking 10s to the 20s to the 30s, 40s, 50s, they're all, their levels are all within one or two of each other. Like, at the very most, they're two away. So why is it all of a sudden now I'm in higher levels and she's fucking nine levels behind? Like, it doesn't make fucking sense. It really doesn't. Exponential she doesn't learn any experience more growth. It's the right? same kind of thing in Pokemon Go. So, like, my mom is almost level 31. I'm at level 29. Mm -hmm. But there's, like, a 500,000 experience difference between us. Right? But th that's, that's the other weird part. It's like, her and Yangus need the same amount of experience to level up, and they've garnered the same amount of experience the whole time. So either Yangus should be level 79, or Jessica should be 88. Like, it's just one of those things. It doesn't make sense. And it's like... It's stupid. It doesn't... It doesn't Fucking matter. who heads at Square like, Enix. Well, yeah, that's just it. It's like, you can beat Dragon Quest at, like, level 62 if you're if you're prepared for the last boss. Because the last boss, to my knowledge, is no fucking joke. That's why I'm just like, fuck it, I'm gonna hit level 99 and just be a god and walk through him. Like, yeah. 
so where I'm at right now, it doesn't fucking matter, and I don't care. It's just one of those things. I'm like, this makes no fucking sense. Why? Peeved. Super peeved. Yeah, it just... It just because, like I said, I'm gonna get Yangus to level 99. Everybody else is gonna hit 99, and then Jessica's gonna need like another two hours of grinding to hit 99. Like it's fucking annoying. <laughs> Anyways, my rant's Rant over. over. I just thought that was bullshit. I just needed to share that with everybody. <laughs> so running theme: we bitch because we care. Go play this game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. You know, we kind of unofficially deemed this the uh, the anime podcast. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say a little factoid. Uh, Akira Toriyama, he is the creator of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. He also does all of the art for Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior. Yep. Fucking stick that in your knowledge pipe and smoke it. That's why if you ever pick up a Dragon Quest game and you're like, why does this guy look like Goku? That's because Goku's designer designed that yep. guy. <laughs> it's I won't I won't get into it, but it's pretty standard. It's like if a manga artist gets popular and they get serialized and their shit runs for a good long while, the next time they do something, that art style is ingrained into their fucking DNA at that point. It's like Good luck doing if anything and when different. One, yeah exactly it's like if and when one piece ends god i hope not but at the same time it kind of needs to one day (laughs) but so i I have a good example one piece sorry yeah go ahead i'm pretty sure his name is ken akamatsu uh he's the Mm -hmm. guy who created love hina he also did ai love and nagima they all look the fucking same yeah they're all fucking rom-com harems yep fucking like pioneered that yep but that's like all he goddamn um, another, does another good example uh recently is uh you know what beelzebub is yeah. right so beelzebub start uh ended and then the author started a new one it's called hungry marie and i've been reading it but it's kind of it's it's not grabbing me so far. I'm hoping it kind of speeds up, but it's the same thing. The main character looks exactly like the main character in um in Beelzebub. The main heroine looks exactly like the main heroine in Beelzebub, and it's it's just that. It's like so if One Piece ends, then and if assuming he's not 94 years old at that point, assuming Ichiro Oda does another manga after that, it's going to look damn near identical. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. It's gonna be. It'll be completely fucking different. But it's like the main character is probably gonna look like Luffy or Zoro. The main girl's probably gonna look exactly like Nami. Like that's just that's how it is. It gets ingrained in your DNA after a certain point, yeah. right? And I mean, it's fine having an art style and sticking to it. But when your characters look to like, if someone didn't read the mangas, if you showed them the two characters and they were kind of indistinguishable, that's a problem. Hmm. That's why the manga artists tend to give them, like, specifically different haircut styles and stuff like that, just to give them their own sense of self. But, so... I forget, did did you have a hidden gem you wanted to talk about, or was it just Just me? you, and I think this would be a very good segue, since you're talking about One Piece. Exactly. Fucking sticking to the anime so, thing here. 
Dun, dun, dun. So the hidden gem, I've I've mentioned this in a couple of past podcasts. I've also talked about the embarrassing way that I got this game, which I will I'll give you the short version. But the hidden gem I'm talking about is a Wii game called One Piece Unlimited Adventure. Um it came out in North America January 2008. Uh it was developed by Ganbarian who maybe Jukebox has heard of them. I, I haven't. haven't. Okay, so I don't know what else they've done if they have done anything else. And it was published by Namco Bandai because I believe Bandai owned the rights. The uh, they didn't own the rights, but they had some of the rights to American One Piece that t- at that point in time. So, of course, they're the publisher that you're going to have to go through. Right. So, to to short story this, uh, the way I got this game was Jukebox and I have a couple of game stores in near the city we live in and we used to go there a lot and just you know see what was happening but we were teenagers we didn't have like stacks of cash to buy all these cool games and stuff right we just liked looking and if we had 20 bucks you know maybe we could get a Mega Man game or something on NES or whatever for lucky so yeah if we're lucky so we go one time with our buddy and uh he had a job at the time I didn't jukebox didn't um but buddy did and i find this game and i've wanted that i've wanted this one piece game for fucking i've known about it for like four years at this point i'm like i need this game and i'm like so i'm like on my knees begging him to buy this game for me and i'm like you keep it in your possession you keep it at your house i will buy it back off you as soon as possible so 15 minutes go by and finally he caves so that's the embarrassing story about how i begged my friend to buy me a video game (laughs) And I did pay him back. It it took me a couple of weeks of, like, you know, chores around the house to get the 40 bucks to pay him back, but worth it. So... Tell me. We are a little bit... I I remember when you got this, because I was there, and I remember you being excited as shit, and I remember going over and seeing you play it, but I can't fucking remember anything about the gameplay. Okay, so... The thing that I love about it is and again if you know anything about one piece you know that it centers around the main character monkey d luffy and his pirate crew which is called the straw hat pirates so in this game one of the best parts about it is you have eight playable characters you have luffy zoro uh usopp nami sanji chopper uh nico robin and frankie the cyborg now when this game came out, nobody knew who Frankie was because he hadn't been localized yet. Like, he was just popping up in the Japanese. Like, he was just starting to get some traction in, like, the manga and the anime uh, in Japan, right? So, it was super cool that he was in it. But he's also left off of the cover art and everything because nobody knew who he was unless you kept up with, like, the translations and shit online. So each of the characters has their own move pool and they don't just start off with a full move pool. It's like when you start the game, like you start with Luffy and you got to go find the rest of your characters. He literally has one punch. That's all he's got. He's just got a move called gum. Yeah, he's just, yeah. (laughs) Jesus fuck. (laughs) So he's only got one move called gum punch. So it's literally like right straight, right straight, right straight. And that's all you're doing to hit the first few enemies you run into. But the cool way that the level up system works in this game is 
as you use the moves, they level up. And as they level up, you unlock new moves. So you just hit guys with your standard A button attack. Your gum punch levels up to level two, and then you get your the second part of the combo. You level that, you level the second move you get up to level two, then you get the third part of the combo, and then you have like a standard three hit combo. And then you start getting like, it'll show you, it'll be like uh, in the air A button or whatever, like an aerial attack it'll say you need your you need the third part of your combo at level three you need your uh dodge attack at level two or whatever so you have to keep experimenting and using different moves to get more moves and it's it's the same for every character they all have their own move pools they all have specific requirements to upgrade said move pools so initially you'd think oh well why don't i just use nobody but luffy and just level him up to the max right at the beginning and then i'll just like stomp through everybody well you can't do that because the bosses are designed in a way that certain characters are better against certain bosses like there are secret bosses at the end of the game like you can go and fight whitebeard if you want but he'll kick the shit out of you but if you watch any if you watch the youtube videos almost everybody that fights him uses nami of all characters they don't use luffy they don't use zoro they use nami because her dodging attack and her aerial attacks are op as fuck when it comes to whitebeard so you have to practice all your characters you have to play all your characters and it's like if one dies you switch to another one immediately if all of them die then you get a game over so there's a lot of there's a lot of trial and error. There's a really, a really cool crafting system. Like it actually encourages you to go like fishing and like go around with a bug net. And it's because like you're going to get to a part in the game where it's like, hey, we need a pickaxe to break this boulder so we can move on to the next area. So you got to go and find, you know, so many pieces of wood and so many rocks to make a pickaxe. And then you'll get to another area where it's like we need to make the pickaxe stronger. So then you got to go and mine like certain ores and shit to upgrade the pickaxe. And then it's also the same if you want to make potions or antidotes or whatever. Like, you got to go hunting for the bugs and the fruits and the flowers and all this to be able to make your shit. So, sounds expensive. There's a lot to do. <laughs> it is. It, there's a lot to it. It's a long game, but it's honestly, you feel fucking good about it. Yeah. Like, I will admit, there are a couple of times where I was playing through it and I'd get to a part and I'm like, man, fuck, I got to go all the way back and try and find one more of this bug so I can get through this area. And it's like, when that happens, it's a bit of a bummer. But then you get into the new area and you're like, worth it. <laughs> so I kind of remember you playing. I could rant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's 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 up there. So it's a wonderful game. Didn't they uh like re release it on PS3 or something? Or is that a different game? What happened uh, it was a different one. What happened is the unlimited quote-unquote series of the One Piece games is actually really big. There was Unlimited Adventure, then there was Unlimited Cruise 1, Unlimited Cruise 2, both of which never got localized. They went, they got localized in fucking Europe and Australia, but they never came to North America, which is bullshit and a half. And then, and then they got Unlimited Cruise SP2, which was on the 3DS, which was both of the Unlimited Cruise games in one game, which was awesome. And then what we finally got was we got Unlimited World Red on PS3 and PS Vita, which was after the time skip. And I bought it and I played it and I love it, but I'm also sad because it starts you out with a full move set. Like you have full combos, so it kind of takes out Ooh. the fun in 
yeah, it takes out a lot of the fun in switching around your characters and having to be having to have variation and everything, which kind of bummed me out. I never beat the game uh. because unfortunately the changes they made to it made it a little bit more boring. It wasn't as exciting to have to level up and get new moves and all this other stuff, right? Which was, it's still a perfectly good game. If you find it for PS3 on sale or whatever, definitely pick it up. You're probably going to have a great time playing it. It's just, if you play Unlimited Adventure and then you go to Unlimited World Red, like, it's a big difference. So, Unlimited Adventure, how rare would you say this game is? I've only seen one copy of it ever. I'd, I'd call like, that a it's, hidden gem. It's, <laughs> it's hard to find. It's really hard to find. If you find it, if you find it and it's less than $50, fucking throw your credit card at the person. Because if you wanted like a brand new sealed copy of that game, it's at least $200 on eBay. I'm pretty sure even like just standard games of it, probably go for over a hundred i mean really? hell i'm gonna look it up right Do now it. why not Do yeah it it's not like i'm doing it like it's not a it's not easy it's not easy to get a hold while of. you're looking that up i'm just gonna kind of introduce our main topic so yes please do what we're going to do is we've picked out four ghibli movies Actually, I had a Twitter poll, but it was completely tied up, so we were like, fuck it, and just picked four that we liked. If you want to get involved with us, uh, we do Twitter polls, and we ask for your input on Twitter and Facebook, so if you want to, like, hit us with some info, stuff that you want us to talk about, fucking do it there. But we picked out four Ghibli movies. We're going to look at the North American covers... We're going to give a little description for them for people who are only listening to this, not watching or anything. And we are just going to kind of judge the movie based on its cover. Like if we think it's going to be good, and then we're going to kind of decipher what it's about. To be Mm. fair, we have seen two of the movies. The other two we haven't. But we're going to go into this with the mindset that we haven't seen these movies. Also, fuck me, I stand corrected. You can get copies of it on eBay on eBay for I'm seeing as little as ten dollars, but I wouldn't really trust I, I honestly I wouldn't really trust it if it was any less than thirty. Yeah. But I am seeing there's like there's a factory sealed one that's going on eBay right now for seventy seven dollars, but I mean Are you looking at sold listings? I am. Okay. There was or sorry, okay, there was one that sold for seventy seven. There are some that sold at 30, one that sold at 15, and then if I go to ones that are currently available, I like I'm seeing 21, 38, uh, 28, 40, 47. Like you have no excuse. So it's hit or miss. Go go take in your recyclables or something. Go get some money. Throw it at your computer screen and get a game. Yes, because it's. <laughs> fucking it's such a good game honestly if you if you enjoy the one piece anime or the manga or whatever even if you're not like a diehard fan like i am like i will fight you if you insult it except jukebox but he's an exception (laughs) but i will fight you if you don't have a specific solid reason why you hate it so anyways but if you've watched the anime if you liked it if you read the manga and you enjoy it definitely if you find this game buy the shit out of it 
play the shit out of it, love the shit out of it, and then either tweet at us or comment on Facebook or comment on YouTube and tell me how much you loved it and how right I am. That was Hidden Gems. Moving on. That was Hidden Gems. <laughs> Yay! So the first one that we're going to look at was Miyazaki's last movie, The Wind Rises. So this is the North American Blu-ray release from Disney, of all people. And just from the cover, you kind of have a blue background with a couple clouds. There are two people standing under an umbrella kissing each other. One male, one female. The female is holding uh, one of those paint trays and painting on an easel. And there is kind of a paper plane flying above them. Calrix? The fuck do you think this I'm is about? To... <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because it's like... Now, disclaimer, this is one of the movies that Jukebox and I saw. It actually had a limited run in North America. We did manage to see it in theaters. Yeah, we even traveled to the big city but... to see it on a bigger screen and whatnot. Yeah, so, like, we've seen it. Like, I know what it's about, but, like, you see this cover, <laughs> you get no clue the fuck it's about. <laughs> like, if if I had to guess, I'd say, like, childhood friends or something. So, I'd, I'd say, I'd say childhood friends, the, the dude works for a living, and the girls just, like... Based on how they're dressed, you have to assume it takes place, you know, not in the twenty, not in the two thousands. I'd say like maybe eighties, at the like at the very latest, probably before yeah. that. So, because the guy, the man is, he's wearing a, he's wearing a cap. I can't, I'm, I'd say maybe a fedora, but I think that's a bit of a stretch. He's wearing a long sleeve shirt with the sleeves rolled up. It's tucked into his pants. So wearing and, a belt and he's and there's and there's a briefcase laying on the ground which it could be the girls it could be her painting supplies it could be his I don't know so I'd assume like he works for a living and this girl's just like chilling at home like painting her days away or maybe she's you know cause I don't know it's honestly really hard to fucking tell like all I can assume is the dude works I can only assume like if I had to guess I'd say that the paper airplane like maybe that's you know maybe she was like the girl across the street and he threw paper airplanes to her with like notes and shit oh, that'd like, be that's... fucking adorable wouldn't it be though that'd be like before so... texting and when your parents won't let you have a phone in the room <laughs> lol <laughs> you get fucking creative that fucking but... tin can telephone don't work with shit gotta use paper airplanes but that's that's just it it's honestly really hard to derive what the movie is about just from the cover so presented just with this cover and the title the wind rises the wind rises therefore it pushes this fucking paper airplane up right so yeah and her skirt yeah, a little bit so here here is my here's my idea what this could fucking be about Oh, please. Paper airplane competitions. She, paint, she paints his airplanes. He folds them all up and he fucking throws them up into the wind. He knows how the fucking wind works. He's a wind whisperer. 
motherfucker awesome. motherfucker wins all of these goddamn competitions. But but Fun. these but these guy this guy and this girl they they were just friends. But he's he's like he's macking on her. He's he's he wants some. That's that's how these Ghibli no, you know movies go, is? right? <laughs> no, you know what he's doing? It's he's not kissing her. He's whispering in his ear, and he's like, "If you fucking paint." If you put lead-based paint on my fucking airplane again, I will cut you. <laughs> you will not walk away. I will find. I will paint my next plane in your goddamn blood, woman. That's what he's doing. Yeah, that, that, that's story. why the umbrella is white, so that later when yes. he does stab her, it's, it gets all fucking red. Because it won't show him killing her. It'll just show him walking to his next competition with a red airplane and a red umbrella. And you fucking know what happened. You know why they're red. <laughs> Oh god, this got dark. <laughs> Ghibli don't get okay, that do dark. We, do we want to? No, Ghibli don't get that dark. But okay, let's move um, on to the. Should I explain real, or do we want to quickly quote and tell them what it's actually about? At least for the two that we've seen. You know, I'll do it for this one, and I'll say it real quick. So the okay. guy is an airplane designer. The girl is his wife. Um. Oh, that sounded lovely. um the the idea behind the movie is kind of the struggle between art and war because this guy he thoroughly enjoys making or designing planes it's kind of his art he's extremely good at it but they're in world war ii japan where they're designing planes to be used in the war so he has that struggle and then with this girl she uh Should I give a spoiler warning? Quick spoiler warning. If you don't want it, skip like a minute ahead. (laughs) Uh, She dies. From tuberculosis. Yeah, so that's kind of, you know, ties in with the wind rises. You know. Yes. And the, the, the big symbolism part is he knows. He knows she's dying. So... His airplanes keep failing. They they never make it through testing, even though they're great airplanes. They work, but then they fail right at the end. And the last airplane he designs, she dies, and it works. Yep. Which is to symbolize, like... It's his greatest design, and it's used in World War II, and every single last one of them gets destroyed. Yep. Yeah. It's a great movie. No. It's really good. Go watch <laughs> Fucking it. Fucking nothing about paper airplane <laughs> competitions. No, we had those in school, though. Good times, good times. So the second one we're doing here, Kiki's Delivery Service. Now, we know Disney released this on Blu-ray, DVD, and all that, but we're going back to, fuck, I think it was 98 that they released it, the VHS cover from Buena Vista Home Video, the original Mm -hmm. North American release. Kelrix, why don't you tell them what's on this thing? (laughs) I was about to say, can I describe yeah, it's it? It's a little involved. So on on the front of the cover, the main the very first thing you see is there's a girl flying on a broomstick. She's wearing a super plain dress. She's got a bag slung over her shoulders with those are muffins, right? I mean they look like muffins. Yeah. We're gonna call them muffins. And there's a cat, a black cat, hanging off the front of the broomstick. Like he's about to fall. He's hanging on for dear life. And then under that 
like she's clearly in the air and then there's just like I don't even know why it's there to be completely honest but just underneath her just going along is a like a little dorky where's Waldo kid on a bike and the bike has like a giant airplane propeller coming off the front some of it some sort of fan angled flying machine reckon yeah <laughs> like I I honestly don't cause again disclaimer we have seen this movie but we we're gonna analyze it as if we haven't so I can't even remember what the fuck his bike is actually for. I don't know why he has a propeller on the front of it. But he wants to fly. Just going. Just, yeah. So just going off of the cover, like, there's a girl on a broomstick. When you hear flying on a broomstick, was the first thing you think about? Witch. I think witch. Witches. <laughs> My pretties. Yeah, fuck. So another thing is she has a black cat for a pet. Fucking black cat witches Again, <laughs> parallels. It's a standard, yeah. It's it's a standard staple, right? So, and she's got a bag. She's got muffins. So I'm gonna assume that she's either. I mean, the the movie is called Kiki's Delivery Service, so I'm assuming she delivers shit. Otherwise, that's a very very misleading title. But. So now my only question is, and we can't determine this, does she deliver all manners of things or is she a baker on the side and she delivers her product to the people who order it? Or does she, you know, like there's a hundred fucking variables. Like what does she deliver? Is it just muffins? Like what's in her bag on the front of the cover? Does she deliver whatever as long as you pay her appropriately? Uh, I I really don't understand what's up with the kid with the fucking airplane propeller on the front of his bike. I don't understand. Okay, so let me hit you with this idea. Hit so me. I assume the girl is Kiki. Fucking great deduction no, skills the right there. Her witch mother sent her off with a bag of muffins to be delivered to Satan. Little rituals, you know, they're witches. They gotta keep them happy. Sometimes they like mother's baked goods. Just sometimes he <laughs> likes their buttered biscuits. It has, don't be fooled, the muffins, the muffins have... Uh, Satan likes a muffin top. The muffins had, yeah, Satan likes a muffin top, and also the muffins are baked with orphan tears. <laughs> and the muffins are also baked orphans. Yeah, yeah. So... This little motherfucker on this bike flying machine is trying to steal her fucking cat. Cause, cause, yeah, because the, cat? the cat's, like, falling off. He's like, I'm going to get that person. Yeah, obviously. Because, <laughs> like, you know, witches, they kind of need their familiars. So he's trying to steal yeah. that goddamn cat because, you know, he's seeing this cat all up in the air. And he's like, oh, that's not safe. I got to save that kitty. Fucking SPCA or some shit. No, he's he's fr- he's with uh, Peta. He's with Peta. That's what it's called, right? <laughs> yes. That ma- that makes spoiler warning. At the end, the cat falls and it gets shredded to pieces in the airplane propeller. Oh Your god, story. these Ghibli movies get so dark. So, anyways, they're so misleading. The, the whole point of her delivery service is to get muffins to Satan. This kid is with Peta, trying to save this cat who's like dangling off a broom. And she just has no fucks to give because she's so happy. She's like, I'm going to deliver muffins to Satan. You want to tell him what this movie is actually about? 
Yeah, we'll do that. So pretty much, I, I got a safer uh, say. I think are... I think my version's better. I I would watch your version. <laughs> I would probably need therapy after, oh, but I would watch that. <laughs> but um, so the actual premise is witches are commonplace in the world of Kiki's Delivery Service. They, and what happens is like, to my knowledge, it's been she a while moves since off I've seen to the big knowledge... city away from her mother's. Yeah. Yeah, because once you come of age, you're assigned to a specific city and location, and you're supposed to be the witch of that location. So, like, her mother is the witch of a certain location, and her main occupation is, like, she's an alchemist. Like, she makes, like, potions and remedies and everything for the people who need them. They are good yeah, witches. Yeah, they aren't hateful like, pieces aren't of like shit. The, <laughs> yeah, they aren't like the wardy, I'm going to steal your kids and cook them in a fire, Hansel and Gretel style. Like, no, like, they're good witches. They're... They're there to help people. They're there to make lives easier because they can do shit other people can't. Like, normal people can't be flying around on a broomstick. So Kiki gets assigned to the city, but it's up to her to figure out what she's good at and what she can do. Like, as she's flying to the city at the beginning, she comes across another witch, and this other young witch is like, I'm a fortune teller. I'm going to go to the city, and I'm going to be a fortune teller for the people. Whereas Kiki, she doesn't know what she's going to do yet. Yeah. So she gets there and she just I think she like happens across like a bread store or something and the lady's kind of. like, "Oh, you're a witch. You can fly. Like, can you deliver this for us?" And yeah, she gets room and board there for begins, that pretty much. Yes. So she becomes the town FedEx essentially. <laughs> so I can't remember for the life of me what's actually up with the kid with the propeller oh, on his bike. Oh, so with him, he just kind of happens upon Kiki because he sees her flying, and his whole deal is he actually yeah. just wants to fly. So he's trying to make a flying contraption out of his bike with this propeller. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you need upward lift, not forward lift, if you want to yeah. fly. Yeah, I mean, if you put some <laughs> wings behind that thing, he'd at least you know get some air once in a while. You need ailerons, son. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty much his whole deal. And then at the end of the movie, he. It's like a huge heroic scene where she like saves him because she can fucking fly. Actually, her whole struggle beyond, you know, not knowing what to do is it's kind of like a belief thing. She has to believe in herself to believe she's a witch kind of thing. So she loses her powers the more uh, like depressed she becomes kind of. And then it's a big deal when she saves him because she kind of gets her powers back. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I, again, it's been a while since I've actually seen it, but she becomes she becomes unable to fly after a little while, doesn't she? Yeah. And then she can't hear Gigi like some, the cat. Yeah, because she can't hear the cat talk because, again, he, he's a familiar, yeah. right? So, okay, uh, why don't you tell them about the next... So, disclaimer, the next two movies we haven't seen. So If you have seen them, to, give them, like, the one-sentence summary. <laughs> yeah. like Tell explain, us if we like, got anywhere close. <laughs> yeah, so Jukebox is going to tell you about the next one that we're talking about. Four. So, Cat Returns. This is the North American uh, Disney Blu-ray release cover. And... Really, it's kind of like old-timey London. Like, they got the old street lamps and very elaborate housing. All kind of made I don't of, know what the fuck I'm like looking at. Like, bricks and cobblestone. 
And then in the foreground, it's a fucking cat in a suit with a top hat. Dapper-ass cat. So, I don't... It's a bad cover, honestly. Like, it's not good. Like, it's literally like Jukebox said. There's, like, some old-timey houses. They're very elaborate. There's, like, stone... They're made out of, like, cobblestones. There's bricks around the windows. It's an old-timey street lamp. And there's a cat with a bow tie, a cane, and a top hat. So, my main question is, is he, like, just a special anthropomorphic cat? Or is that, like, what the whole world is? Is it all... Is it, like, some old-school Studio Ghibli Zootopia-type thing? So, I actually kind of wonder if maybe not quite that, but do all animals appear like this to each other, whereas humans just view them as normal? Could it be some sort of, like, Toy Story shit? Mm, I suppose it could be very well. Here is my crackpot theory. <laughs> oh God! Does it involve Satan like the other? No, two? no. This one's this one's actually kind of chill. Oh, okay, cool. This is a dapper orange cat. This is the Japanese anime version of the Aristocats. Oh fuck! <laughs> and this this picture on the front is from like the end of the movie where uh O'Malley gets his shit together and goes and lives with uh with uh the well-off white cat and its kids. Riveting. Right? <laughs> Fucking you know how that shit goes, Japan, you know, they kind of latch on and they make everything look anime-like and weird. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm just trying to wrap, I'm just trying to like even half-assed assume because the title is the cat returns which implies that he left at some point for some reason for some amount of time right but it's like the cover gives you no indication of who he is why he left if there's anybody that he left or whatever it's literally just the fucking spiffy ass cat standing in front of a bunch of houses you know what at in Nighttime. the Aristocats, O'Malley kind of leaves the city for a while when they're in the country trying to save the kittens. And, oh, and then he returns shit. and he becomes a dapper motherfucker. Yep, full circle. Well, this I'm latched onto this, man. Fucking Disney got the rights to release this. It's all fucking making sense now. I swear to God, after this podcast, I'm going to fucking look up a synopsis, read it real quick, and I'm going to tell you how close you are. <laughs> Not close at all. <laughs> Not close at all. But I mean, it's just that. Like, you know, doesn't I mean, he look part kind of the of reason sacky? I haven't. Mm, he seems more disinterested yeah. to me. He's, he's kind of got a bit he's of a got kind of like, brow or something. He's got like a. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's hard to tell if it's a furrowed brow or if it's just their attempt fur. at drawing in a little bit of fur detail. Because it's like, it's hard to tell just by the artwork if he's like got like a bit of a smug smile, if he's upset, his eyes are kind of in a very normal position. It's, it's very hard to tell. It really is. The fact that he has his hat off, in my opinion, could potentially be symbolic somehow. It could be him. 
we never know. This could be from the the picture could have been done from the viewpoint of somebody or something else. Like maybe he's returned to his owners or a family or whatever. And maybe he's like standing in front of the door and he's got his hat off like, oh God, right? It's honestly super hard to tell. If you guys don't, if you guys are having a hard time believing us, like just Google the cat returns and just look at it. Like it's not, you know, I just, uh, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to read the first paragraph of plot. The story is of a girl named Haru, a quiet and shy high school student who has a suppressed ability to talk with cats. One day she saved a dark blue cat from being hit by a truck on a busy road. The cat is Loon, prince of the cat kingdom. As thanks, the cats give Haru a gift of catnip and mice, and she is offered the prince's hand in marriage. Her mixed reply is taken as a yes. Nothing like fucking well, Aristocats. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, like, there goes, like, out the ballpark. She, bitch, better be careful, because, uh, you know, fun fact cats, cats have, male cats have barbed penises. Ow. So, I mean, she's. She, I, I feel sorry for that girl. Latched on, and it ain't fucking letting go. <laughs> That's. That's fucked up, to be completely honest. Like, so now my only question is, is it like she saved this cat when she was young and he's returning for her hand now because she's of age or something? Or is it just like he was like, I need time to think about this. Don't know if I want some human bitch. I'm going to go, you know, get my fucking wild teenage Vegas years on and then come back for her after I've had my fill. Like, what? Yeah, fucking... (laughs) I I read it was it's a spin-off of a different Ghibli movie Whisper of the Heart just like a single scene where a girl's like imagining stuff and I vaguely remember her imagining this cat so maybe the cat returns literally just means that this cat returns to like it exists again it wasn't just a one-off thing yeah maybe I don't know should we move on to the last anyways one? Yeah, let's move on to number four. So we're looking at the North American DVD release cover from 2005, I think. Palm Poco. Uh... So this one... Oh, am I going first? <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I thought maybe we were still looking for the picture. This one was... No, no, I got oh, it. okay. This one was directed by Isao Takahata. So he is kind of leveling, lovingly referred to as the other guy at Ghibli. So everyone knows Hayao Miyazaki, but the majority of the other films, especially the early ones, so like their first five to ten films kind of, were done by Hayao and Isao. So Palm Poco, this cover, they look like they're on the porch of, you know, a traditional Japanese house with the sliding doors. The doors have holes in them, they're crooked, and it's like 12 tanukis. Fucking raccoon motherfuckers just sitting having a blasty blast in front of this house. Yeah, if you don't know what a tanuki is specifically, it's a Japanese raccoon dog. And in the mythology, they're able to like transform, they're tricksters. They have massive nutsacks. Etc. They have gigantic 
gigantic nuts. And, and I'll say, <laughs> just from uh, having to find this picture for to get Calrix to look at, they depict them quite largely in the movie. <laughs> nice. Very full. Very fertile. Jesus. So, at the very bottom here, it actually says, A Fantastic Tale of Survival. So I'm going to give you my normal-ass idea, and then I'm going to give you my fucking crackpot idea. So I'm Yay. going to assume, because they're kind of mythical beasts or whatever, that this is the last remaining family, and they kind of have to survive as what, wherever they live is modernizing. Maybe they're tearing down these old traditional Japanese houses, or they're becoming decrepit, and people are stopped not believing in them or something and they just kind of have to mm -hmm. save their way of life and keep people believing in them that's about as normal yeah, an idea my, as i have that's my main that's my main i wonder if is i'm wondering if they're like physical beings that you know are living in these houses or whatever or living in the forest or if they're spirits of the houses and shit yeah. like that like that's what I'm wondering, because I definitely think you're probably right about, like, modernizing or whatever, because I can't imagine what else a fantastic tale of survival and, like, an old beaten-up Japanese home. I can't... There's not many other parallels you can draw from that, you know? It's... So, the tree so, in the background, too, uh, it has fall colors, and they have mm -hmm. this kind of box of whatever they harvested in front of them. So maybe a part of the survival is keeping their harvest. Like maybe people are trying to develop on that land or something. And they need their harvest to survive. Yeah. Preparing for winter and all that. Do you have any crackpot theories or should I go ahead with mine? This is the inside of a tukey tin of a tanuki testicle. <laughs> uh, These fuckers aren't born yet. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's like really crap. Oh, no, I I got nothing to be completely honest. Okay. So, like I don't know. They're all singing and dancing, so I'm assuming either they've come to peace with the fact that they're fucked or or they survived or whatever got what they wanted and they're like kumbaya my lord so fucking gather around the campfire let us sing a campfire song <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we know tanuki's from there's a tanuki and shaman king i know that no, no, no. think video games nah son of a bitch I know in One Piece, like, no, it's not no, true, no, no. but Chop... It's super Aww. common. Aww. I got Mario nothing. Bros. I don't know where 3, going with this. the Tanuki suit. When people think of Tanuki, Fuck that's, off. like, the only thing they know, right? <laughs> Except yeah, you, apparently. <laughs> Except me. But the fact of the matter is, I'm a, I'm a fucking spelling nerd, and Tanuki in the Mario games is spelt wrong. Fucking whatever, that's a translation Jeez. thing. <laughs> so, this is a tale of survival. Fucking, how does Mario get those suits? Skinning them alive? Yeah. How else? 
Hey, oh, you know what? We're kind of back to PETA because that was a thing for a while. They were like, oh, yep. he's skinning raccoons. So, fucking this, this movie is all about... It's a tie-in with Nintendo. It's all about these fucking tanukis trying to survive as Mario has sent his brother out to skin them alive and shove them into tiny boxes so Mario can find them throughout his wacky world. You know why they're all so happy? Because they just sacrificed the youngest one. (laughs) They got Mario. Oh, shit. Yeah, guess what's under those fruits? No, actually, you know what? Even better, even better. They have the princess. Oh, shit. You know, you, you can't have massive to... nuts and not use them. I was going to say, like, because, I mean, Mario's stopping at nothing. Like, he, he'll he pop open a question, but like, he'll be like, oh, God, why is there a fucking skinned raccoon in here? And he's like, you know what? I don't care. If it gets me all up and... Princess Peach's nonsense, and I'm a I'm put it on. I'll do what get I gotta. Get in Peach's Peach. Get in Peach's yep. Peach. <laughs> oh God, this got fucking nope. weird. So, so nope. The the no, it's right where it's supposed to be. This is definitely this is 100% how the movie goes. Is they caught Princess Peach, and they're like, they're like, you know what? If Mario's gonna skin us to get in her, then we're gonna get in her, and then we're gonna skin her, and we're gonna see how he likes oh, it. Oh God! And that's that's how that movie ended, kids. <laughs> please, 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 please find a synopsis so we can unscar okay, people. <laughs> so, Pompoko, uh, first paragraph of the plot. The story begins in late 1960s Japan. A group of tanuki are threatened by a gigantic suburban development project called New Tama in the Tama Hills on the outskirts of Tokyo. The development is cutting into their forest habitat and dividing their land. The story resumes in early 1990s Japan during the early years of the Heisei era, while, li- while limited living space and food decreasing every year, tanuki begin fighting among themselves for the diminishing resources, but at the urging of the matriarch oroku they decide to unify and stop the development holy shit dude my fucking original theory was like right on par with this shit i was gonna say like yeah you hit the nail on the fucking head yeah okay i'm just having fun with these crackpot ideas so people know but like yeah i've i've (laughs) there's only three or four ghibli movies that i haven't actually watched yet so I kind mm-hmm. of get where these things go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm, like, again, I've only seen, like, maybe, I'd say maximum, I've seen, like, maybe eight or nine Ghibli movies out of, like, there's how many? There's, like, 30 now, so, isn't there? I think there's 20 main movies, and then they have some shorter stuff. Gotcha. So, like, I recently got Ocean Waves, which was a TV film from 1993. It's not included in the main list. Okay, so that, that then that thing's probably only like what, like maybe forty five minutes long, seventy two. Well, fuck me. All right. <laughs> so yeah, so jukebox has a better understanding of like the natural direction these movies tend to go. Um, just for again a quick disclaimer, uh, Ghibli movies are very light hearted, for the most part. There are a couple that will fuck your day right up. Brave of Fireflies, but. <clears throat> 
I was going to say Grave of Fireflies, like, you will cry. I haven't seen it. One day I'll watch it. I'll probably cry like a fucking man baby, but they they get to you sometimes. There's there's some serious scenes, but for the most part they're very lighthearted. And a good example of that is when we went to see The Wind Rises in theaters, the part where the main character and his girl when they do get married, it it at one point implies that they're making a baby. Or trying, at least, right? And Jukebox, I don't think you yelled, but audibly enough for, like, the seven of us that went to see the movie for us to hear it, you're like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, mm-mm, you're not implying sex in my Ghibli movies, no (laughs) fucking way, back that shit up. I honestly don't remember that, that is something I'd do. It it happened, I'll tell you right now, because I pissed myself laughing. Well, it's, it's not as bad as fucking... God, what's the one with TurboTastic? Wreck-It Ralph. It ends, oh, and I just like... And then they all fucked. <laughs> yeah, everybody in the theater th- shot you a, a, a bit of a look after that. Well, one. anyone yeah. within earshot. Yeah. That's kind of my thing. A movie but ends, yeah. and I'm just like, and then they all fucked. Jukebox, they're all dead though. They still fucked. Yes. <laughs> Zombie fucking. Zombie fucking. Oh, God. Don't got to worry about catching anything because your cock falls off afterwards. So, I think we need to wrap this up. But for everyone listening, yes. The Ghibli movies we discussed, if you have any stories or experiences, or if maybe you saw the posters or the DVDs, what you thought they may have been fucking tell us hit us up yeah, with that juicy that... crackpot theories yes. <laughs> absolutely oh god yeah and if if you enjoyed I'm, this I'm fucking kick... tell us and we'll do it again yeah absolutely uh I wanted to mention at the beginning of this episode, and I forgot because I was too hung up on my eventual rant about Dragon, Dragon Quest, Quest but I wanted to mention that Jukebox and I would love to do a video where we just talk about and discuss your guys' favorite games or your hidden gems or uh, specifically your hidden gems, I think, was what we decided. Um, Or if you have a game mechanic you want us to elaborate on when we do Mechanics Workshop, then send us a tweet, comment on our Facebook page or YouTube or yeah, so hit us up with your favorite anything. hidden gems or a game mm-hmm. mechanic that you think is very unique within gaming. So you can definitely YouTube comments, but you can tweet at us at games underscore podcast, or you can post on our Facebook at infinity games podcast. Yep. So fucking cause we, we'd, we'd l- Doing one of those videos would be the tits, I think. I think that'd be a lot of fun, just talking about a bunch of different hidden gems. Hell yeah. So, yeah, definitely tweet us, comment, anything. Get a hold of us somehow and let us know about your hidden gems. And with that, I am Jukebox Hero. I'm Calrix King. And this is the Infinity Games Podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So if you've been listening this far, you should subscribe to us. You can also find us on iTunes and the Google Play Store. 
Or, if you like, we have an RSS feed which you can subscribe to in your favorite reader. If you leave us a 5-star review on iTunes, we'll be sure to read your review on the show.